Welcome to Licensed Psychologist, Now What? A podcast about the journey psychologists and psychotherapists go through as they reclaim their intuition and unleash their healing gifts while maneuvering getting licensed, life, and making a living. And although this podcast host and many of the guests are mental health professionals, the information provided is not meant to be a substitute for being diagnosed and treated by a licensed mental health, medical, and related professionals, or for supervision and or consultation purposes. Hello, everyone. I'm so excited. Welcome to another episode of Licensed Psychologist. Now what? Sometimes I still feel like saying the Beyond Resilience Life. <laughs> Having two podcasts is like, yeah, it's trippy. And this is your host, Dr. Ludiana, and I'm so excited to have with you for our second guest of this podcast, the amazing Shirani. We were buddies in a mastermind for about nine, 10 months, and we became friends, and she has a lot of exciting stuff to talk about, and I feel so honored to have you, Shirani, here. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for saying yes. Oh, and thank you so much for inviting me to share my story and be a part of this. I think what you're up to is really amazing because there's a lot of supremacy culture and industrialization that has come into our work. And I think it's really important that what you're doing so that we can reclaim what is ours. Yes, yes. And I know you're going to talk about that, you know, in your new book very soon here with us today about supremacy and all that. But I think it's so important. The whole work of reclamation. I feel like it's, mm, it's so juicy and so challenging and complex and layers and layers. So, ah, so as we start, Shirani, can you share us a little bit about you, your services and what to do? Yeah, so I am Sharani M. Batak, and I am the author of the book series Fierce Authenticity. The first book is already out, Fierce Authenticity, Show Up, Be Seen, Get Love. And I'm currently working on the next book, like the part two, the next version, which is Fierce Authenticity, Dismantling Supremacy's Impact on Our Relationships. And so my background and training is as a relationship therapist. But I don't particularly care so much for all the rules that come with therapy. And so I'm doing more of like expanding the work because I know I'm here to serve a bigger, wider audience than just like one or two or three or four people at a time. And so I'm really honoring that calling and switching more to a public level coaching, consulting, mentorship uh, type of way of being. However, in my therapy practice, I do have a very tiny, it's always been a little bit of a boutique practice for me because again, I've always known that my higher power is calling me to do these other things in the world. And so I have a small boutique practice of clients that I've been working with for a little bit longer term. And then for new clients and the couples, I do counseling intensives and I love the intensive model. Because that's, for me, a part of that reclamation, which I'm sure we will talk about <laughs> at some point. It just gives me permission to really bring my gifts into this space. So that's why I've shifted more to an intensive style model, as a po which really is like a retreat style model, mm -hmm. but counseling, like two days back to back. <laughs> so yes. it's so much more 
like it just allows my gifts to shine so much more. Mm. And for someone who's listening and being like two days, like you're talking the whole, like, for can you share a little bit more, a little bit of how it looks like? Yeah. And it's funny because I do so far, the intensives I've done have primarily been with couples. So I no longer work with couples for weekly one-to-one. It's been that way for two or three years now that I no longer do weekly one-to-one with with couples, I've been doing these intensives. And a lot of times fellow therapists will be like, two days with a couple, like, how do you do it? And for me, it's really structured, actually, first of all, is a really good screening process, you know, so there's the phone screening, and then there's inviting them in for an initial intake, just so that, you know, because sometimes what we're told on the phone isn't what walks into the room, right? And so kind of having that initial intake Also, just to make sure that is this going to be a good fit for the type of service? Like, are they stable enough in their own personhood that we can do this type of deep work? And then after that, you know, a lot of times it's a yes. I'm really good at using my intuition to screen. Like, and if I'm feeling like it's not a good fit, like, I'm not even going to offer it as a service. But if I'm feeling like, you know, this could be a good service for this couple or this person that's when I invite them in for that intake, assess it, figure out a plan, give them some homework. And then we come together for two full days for me, where we meet from 11 to five, two days back to back. In a Zoom world, I was concerned how it was going to go, but it's still working so beautifully to have the two days. I started breaking it up like two, four and a half or four, two and a half hour chunks, but it just, it was spaced out too much. Like there is magic that happens when you do this work in a really packed intensive format. So that's what it's looked like. They come in, they, we review their homework. Uh, The way I work as a relationship therapist and relationship consultant, it's a lot of family of origin work. It's looking at all of our relational wounding, all of our relational traumas, and how that shows up in our relationships, whether that be with our partner or our coworker or our boss or our best friend, like just really looking at how those patterns play out in all these different areas. Mm, that sounds really good, especially for, I mean, I'm like, my God, I need to look again into intensive for going <laughs> to myself <laughs> in my couples, but in my relationship, but at the same time for people that that they prefer to just chunk out two days as opposed to like, because otherwise it would be equivalent to like, what, like four, three, four months. Um, It would actually, what we accomplish in two days. And then I do have three follow-ups. So a part of that package for the intensive is the two days and one follow-up every month for three months, just to oh. continue fine tuning anything that, you know, because it's such an intense time a lot shifts, a lot moves, but then sometimes, you know, you go back into the day-to-day world and then some of the stuff still comes up like, oh, we're doing so much better, but there's this glitch we're still having, you know? So I don't even recall what your question was, but how many months? Oh, (laughs) yes. It's literally like nine to 12 months worth of therapy, like jam packed into such a tight space. And because we're here talking to other you know, clinicians, I want to share that there was a time where I believe the lie that I don't do couples work because my background and training is as a social worker. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. And 
I'm really action oriented, like really results oriented, solution focused, being able to help shift things for people, just being their, you know, mentor, their Sherpa, their guide. Sometimes I call myself (laughs) that when I speak with them on the initial call. I don't even remember the question. I was just on some tangent here, but it's so I started to believe that I don't do couples therapy because they would come in every week or every other week. I wouldn't be seeing results. Like even they wouldn't be seeing so much results. And so I started to believe the lie that I'm not good at couples therapy. And then I don't know what happened, what shifted. And I just decided, you know what, let me try this intensive thing. I think what I was doing was in an energy healing certification program at that time. And I was really connecting with my gift of holding really deep, deep, deep spaces. And so I just said, let me, let me put this out there and experiment. And so the first one I did, I actually did it in my role as coach because it was on a trade with another colleague and it was amazing what happened. And that was when I was only doing one day, you know, after doing it a while, I realized one day just wasn't enough. So two days really created a, like a safer container and one where things could actually not just happen and shift and move, but then they could also get skills and tools to take with them. And the, just that one day, that very first couple, and it was like, oh my gosh, like, this is it. Like, this is the way. And so ever since then, that's when I'm like, nope, I don't work with couples on a weekly basis. If that's what you want, that's great. That's not the type of therapy that I do. And so I'm happy to provide you with referrals. And I've had to refer people out because they want the weekly stuff. And I'm like, "Mm, no, no, there's other therapists that do that. Lots of them. Yes. And I love how you go. That's not me. Because I bet that was like a journey in itself to be okay to be like, that's not me. And that's okay. My thing is this. Yeah. And it, you know, I'm not going to lie. It really in a culture and a society and a profession that has been so industrialized, that mental health industrial complex and institutionalized, it's really hard to do something that deviates from the norm, right? Deviates from the norm. And so it actually took a lot because of my colleagues and stuff, you know, they would be like, oh, you know, like there was a, some people would be like, oh, that's really cool. But then sometimes people would just like, well, that's not, you know, not that that's not therapy, but, and then the more I saw others doing it in other areas in particular. So I've done a lot of my relationship therapy training with Terry Real, relational life therapy. And I was already like jamming in relationship work before that, but it just helped like strengthen so much and put words to things I was already thinking. And I'm like, oh, if I don't have to reinvent the wheel, I'm not going to reinvent the wheel. Like here's a modality that (laughs) is very much in line with who I am and how I work. And so I did that. And he does two-day couples intensives. I'm like, look, here's this like really renowned expert in couples work Mm -hmm. doing this. So with every person I saw, it's almost like it gave me more and more permission to take greater ownership Mm -hmm. of Ah, that way for me. Yeah, that word permission. (laughs) Sometimes we're always seeking it out there, but then we forget that we also have to seek it within Mm because we can seek it out there with everywhere. But then I think the last (laughs) kind of like the gate (laughs) protector is ourselves, permission to ourselves to be okay with 
this is me and this is what I want regardless of what happens out there. Yes. And this is where like, I love Brené Brown and how, you know, in her work, it's writing yourself permission slips, like little permission slips to what, what are you giving yourself permission for today? And I learned that I was a participant in a daring way group actually. And I learned about it there and I'm like, oh my gosh, I love this so much because you're right. Until we give ourselves the permission, it's like exactly like you talked about a gate. It's the final unlocking that puts everything into alignment. And I have felt that many times in my life and in my career that when I finally get to that place, it just boom, everything is, I'm feeling goosebumps right now as I'm talking about it. Yeah. And, and then we have so much internalized that we have to seek permission. I mean, we can talk about all the different systems, but even let's talk about one of the more out there, I would say like easier to see, which is education. It's not like you can, like, you have to like raise your hand to speak and you have to do a paper and see if it's good enough based by someone else's perspective. Somebody has to sign on your hours to kind of see if you completed your supervised hours for licensure to get to sit into the test. You have to, somebody has to okay it. You know, there's all this, and this is graduate school. You have kindergarten or even preschool all the way to high school. And then, <laughs> so all these years of programming and internalization of, I need to seek out permission out there. And this is just one of the systems. <laughs> so, yeah. And that's a system we're conditioned into as early as pre-K, TK, you know, kindergarten, all of that. It's absolutely right. You know, that looking to the outside for that approval, instead of looking where it really belongs is between you and yourself and you and your higher power. Yes. Yes. And how do you get there? I know that's like a stupid question. Because <laughs> I, I bet there might be people listening and clinicians and healers that are like, oh, I know what I want, but I feel like I can't. Like, but how was your journey to mm. get here? My journey it required a lot of deep diving into my own soul work and my own soul growth, you know, and between therapy and a 12-step program and an energy healing certification program where we were doing the deep work ourselves, right? And then working with a business coach who's a retired therapist, she's retired now, but she really is like more of a spiritual business coach. And so just really having safe spaces to be able to let go of everything that's not me. So all of that conditioning, which really is what the work of fierce authenticity is about for me is about letting go of all the layers of conditioning and whether it was family conditioning or the larger societal supremacy culture conditioning and just letting that go a little by little. So this did not happen overnight. Like it took a long time. Like I'm a decade and a half into my, like, you know, I've been in therapy off and on for, you know, 15 years, but really that deep, deep dive, it's been eight or nine years that I've been there. And it took a long time to finally get to the place where I felt like comfortable in me and comfortable to be able to put me out there. Hmm. You know, you're saying that and it's also reminding me like I'm like 12 years in, in the profession and that now is when I feel confident enough to do this, to share about the authenticity journey and, and, and to go back to who I am. 
So I guess there is that, but I wish it wasn't. I bet there's ways that you can do it shorter for anyone that's going to be like, oh my God, I need to wait like nine, 10 years until no, you don't necessarily, you could or more or never, <laughs> but, but that's part of the hope of this podcast is to, for you to hear the stories earlier on. Cause I did not hear of the stories. I had to like, it was like under, it's like, oh, hey, I did this thing. And I'm like, oh, that was scary. It was all like under the rug. Mm -hmm. I am done with that. I'm like, let's bring it out because a lot of us feel the same way. And yet we're like, hmm, here's my license. I literally have my license here because I opened the letter and I have it. I'm like, ooh, here's my license and kind of like stay quiet. And when I close my door, when I open my, however I'm doing therapy, it's my own thing. But out there, mm, yeah, these are my qualifications, certifications and all mm -hmm. the BS that we put. But yeah. who are you? You know, who am I? Mm -hmm. So it's so beautiful. Yeah. And bringing ourselves into the room, right? Because for a long time, and our clients feel it, like for a long time, because I, you know, grew up in a culture where we don't talk about certain things and you don't bring certain things up and all this other stuff. And like the culture of the mental health profession and all the education that we get and how we're trained, no self-disclosure, all this other stuff, like stick to evidence-based practices, like all this stupid, dumb shit, like really. Mm -hmm. And then to be able to like, so for a long time, it felt like there was a disconnect. Like I was just kind of doing that surface level stuff and leaving me out. And then as I started to take more ownership of who I am, it was like, okay, like starting to bring more and more of my authentic self into the room and clients could feel it. Clients felt more comfortable and safer to be themselves as well, you know? And Lydiana, like, yeah, others don't have to take nine, 10, right. 12, 15 years. That's why I'm so excited that you're doing this podcast and getting this message out there so that listeners can know it doesn't have to take that long. That really we're here breaking down these systems and like, it's like, I'm seeing this image of like, just breaking down these systems, like slashing through them so that they crumble because they're built on supremacy culture. They're built on a very Eurocentric way of being. I mean, where was psychotherapy first founded? Like Austria right. and Germany, right? Like by a bunch of white men in Austria and Germany. And so when we think about it that way, it's very Eurocentric and it leaves mm. out intuition, except for Carl Jung. He knew a thing or two, but you know, he's kind of pushed into the corner over there. And, right. and I know the person who developed family constellations and Brett Hellinger, I think I didn't know he was a psychologist oh. also because, you know, it's more seen as an energy healing modality now, instead of like really this modality that has its basis in psychotherapeutic work, you know? And so it leaves out intuition. It leaves out energy healing. It leaves out indigenous practices. It leaves out what we know in our own practices, depending on whatever culture we're, we're walking into the room with. And then there's a layer of, for the most part that I know, cisgender men. That is a big, big also, because you're talking about intuition, all this that is usually, you know, connected more to the feminine side. However, you, you know, it doesn't have to be women but more of that feminine energy. And recently I saw this article, I think it was on one of the Facebook groups of therapy <laughs> groups that somebody posted an article about the most prominent psychologist right now, like 2021, 
I think it was like, I mean, I don't know how many, but 90% were look, look, because I, you know, and I think they identify as cisgender men. And I'm mm. like, are we still there? Like, there was, not even, there was no even like, people were like, what about, I think it was in mothers and anyways, the mother that are also therapists. People were like, what about, oh my God, Marsha Linehan or someone, you know, that has mm-hmm. done, because then what people were saying, oh yeah, it's mostly psychologists and psychiatrists and psychotherapists that have a lot of publishing or researching or work for this university. And I did not know some of them. I'm like, I don't know you. <laughs> and probably you're amazing at some research, but I, don't, I haven't heard of you. So, so there's still this idea to this day that when I went to school, it was like 80% female. Mm-hmm. And it's still, I'm looking at 2021, the most prominent, and it was all cisgender men. And I was like, okay, we're still here. Yeah. And that, I mean, blows my mind in some ways and doesn't in others, right? Because pretty much, yep, everyone I know in the mental health profession is either a woman or a gay man, right? Like I don't, there's very, very few cisgendered hetero men that, and especially cisgendered hetero white men that I know who are, you know, in this profession and, and what you're saying, it just, when my eyes started opening up more and more to this, looking at the speaker lineup, but all these like conferences and it's just like, oh, look at all these white people. Like, where's all the, the black, brown, indigenous, Asian, other bodies of culture? Where are they? Because there is really brilliant people that are bodies of culture doing this work. Yes. Yes. No, I'm telling you, I opened that list because it was like people were like, there was like 300 comments. It was like a huge, it was trending. <laughs> I'm like, I need to see this article. Who is this prominent psychologist? And I'm like, I think one of the few that I ident- like recognized was Martin Seligman. I think they even put Bandura. And I'm like, I think Bandura is not even alive. It was like, what? Like, um, yeah. So Yeah. Well, and then you said something also that I want to speak to, because you said that like they were saying, oh, it's the most prominent because of how published their work is. Right. Well, as an indie author going through self-public, like the publishing book writing process for the second time now, it takes a lot of money and time and energy and effort to go through the publishing process. You know, like I'm not currently like And most people don't get paid for the time they spend writing, right? And it takes so much energy, effort to be doing that. And so that also goes and shows the disparity, right? That like in order to be published in all these places, you have to have the privilege of time and resources. Yeah. And yeah, there were mostly professors at very prestigious universities that Mm -hmm. get funding through their research. Yeah, that's what yeah. they do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they get they're not clinicians, they're just researchers. No, basically it was researchers. <laughs> that's why I was like, yeah. So, oh, it's so it's so hard. What obstacles are you continuing to bump into at the moment as you're working through your own journey? Are we talking about on the therapy side, like as a clinician, on the more public facing side or in general? In general. Okay. The answer came to me actually already. Like it's really coming up against my own conditioning, 
right? And how that shows up. Like, no joke. Like, I am writing a book on how supremacy culture shows up in ourselves, in our relationships. And perfectionism is one of supremacy culture's characteristics. Like, it's everything has to be perfect. I was emailing my editor this weekend. And I said to her, at first I typed out, my perfectionism is like getting the best of me. Like it wants this draft of the manuscript to be perfect or whatever. And I was like, wait a minute, like delete, delete, delete. I said, supremacy's perfectionism is trying to get the best of me, you know? And really it's that is the continual growth. And for me, it's not a one and done. Like for me, these are practices. And same thing in my relationship, in my marriage, like how I have to shut my mouth when I have opinions about my sister. Well, guess what? I don't know. I'm not God. I don't know what's best for my sister. And with my husband, I don't know. I don't know. So I can't be like, I know what he should be doing and blah, blah, blah. No, that's supremacy culture's conditioning in our relationships. Can you speak a little bit more about that? Because I know that's your jam in the new book. Yes. (laughs) Yes. It's just... So there's a lot of people, and I am not claiming to be an expert on racism or anything like that. There are very prominent people, very well-established, well-respected people that have already been doing that work. And I am in no way an expert at that. But my superpower is to be able to look at relational patterns, like just to hear a few pieces of information that I can already piece together what's happening. Like that relational patterns thing is, that's my thing. And so I started to see, because I come from a culture, you know, my people were colonized not once, but twice, first in India uh, by the British, and then taken from India to Fiji as indentured servants. And so it's like double trip. And then we moved to America when I was three. So it's like double, triple colonization, right? And so I grew up very much in this oppression, very oppressive cultures and being a brown woman moving to the US like that. There's a whole other being and granted, I was three years old, but there's still that immigrant experience that I had. Right. And so just all this oppression. And so really the 12 step program I'm in, like when I looked at it, I was like, wow. All this is related to systems of oppression. Like when you look at alcoholism, addiction, violence, abuse, like all of that is comes from systems of oppression. And I started to see the similarities and I was like, wow, like all of this stuff that we're saying is a result of like alcoholism or addiction or sexual abuse or whatever, like it comes down to how supremacy culture has conditioned us. And the cool thing is like for me, because again, I have this ability, especially as I've cultivated it through the energy healing certifications and programs, it's like to be able to zoom out and see the whole big thing. So a lot of people, when they talk about supremacy culture, they're talking about white supremacy culture that began with the transatlantic slave trade of, you know, enslavement of African bodies. But everything in me was like, this is so much, this goes further back beyond that. And I would feel it in my body when I would contemplate that question, because I got curious after I wrote my first book and I was like, you know, I wonder where the original wound occurred. Like, where did that original relational rupture occur? And every time I meditated on that question, I would go back to ancient Sumer. So like the ancient Sumerian civilization. 
and really tracing it back. So I just completed chapter two of (laughs) my new book, which is tracing that back. Like I did so much research on Sumer and like what happened, what the timelines were and being someone, yes, I'm a relationship therapist, but all trauma is relational. So really I'm a secret trauma therapist, but I present as a relationship therapist, you know, but really I'm a trauma therapist. And because I know that, and I can see the patterns and, you know, learning about neurobiology, learning about our nervous system, learning about how we carry that it's been with us for five to 7,000 years is how long supremacy culture has been with us. You know, from the moment where one person decided to usurp the power of another person in an attempt to take away their sovereignty, like that is where the original relational rupture occurred. And it never got healed, which is why we see so many, like literally millennia of it piled on top of each other, on top of each other, on top of each other, unresolved. And so for me, that's what supremacy culture is about, is not just looking at white body supremacy or Eurocentric supremacy. It's really looking at from the first peoples who were colonized 5,000 years ago. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That is like a very, I feel like complex, broad, that brings all this perspective that I feel like a lot of people and folks here are missing. And it makes sense because it's easier to laser focus, you know, one way. And there's a journey of emotions and anger that it's very much, I mean, justified. Yeah, absolutely. And and at the same time, I feel like then we stay there. And I feel like we're stay there and then staying there. Who is being hurt? Yes. And this is where I've done a lot of learning from Milagros Phillips, which I know you've learned from her as well. And how she talks, like who is being hurt? All of us, because even white bodies are experienced. They're subject to the oppression, right? Because they're being, Milagros says, because they're being lied to. And so really, yeah, yeah, infantilized. Yes. And they, so they think that like, you know, anyways, yeah. that's Milagros. She has a new book out also. Yes. I think it's Cracking the Healer's Cracking Code. The healer. Yeah. And so that's over there. She's brilliant and has been doing this work for 35 years, you know, and, but it's just that. And for me, you know, I do understand there is the importance of looking like, yes, very much in America today, it is looking at anti-Black racism, right? Like mm-hmm. it is very much looking at how Black bodies have been discriminated, beaten, abused, all that, that never got acknowledged or healed. And so there is value in that. And for me to look at only that is to look at the symptom and not look at the cause. And for me, I am a deep diver, like holding those deep spaces for me is about getting to the root cause, because until we get to the root cause, we're going to keep seeing the same thing manifest in different ways. I was like, in my book, I'm using the example of whack-a-mole, you know, like that game where you like, oh, we got it over here and it pops out somewhere else, you know? And as clinicians, we know that this happens uh, with other patterns in life, right? Well, guess what? It happens on a collective humanity level as well. And and so Mm. that's why I think it's very valuable that there are people doing that work and illuminating that and 
for me, I know my work is to illuminate the bigger, larger, where did this first happen? Which goes back very much of the relational model. Yeah. Because when you're doing like family work, couples work, there's individual pieces, but there's relational pieces. So if you, you know, somebody the identified patient kind of like gets healed, then if the relational stuff is not healed or processed, then somebody else is going to become the identified patient. Yeah. And it's yeah. kind of like, yeah, that's, I went straight there. Oh, oh my God. I feel like I can talk with you and talk with you and <laughs> talk with you. And I'm looking at the time. So let's, um, I really want to get this question in terms of a message for someone who's in this journey and wanting to reclaim a similar, like inherited gifts and intuition, like being authentic, going to the deep diving and deciding if they want to do intensives or a different type of therapy model. Like what would you say to them? Mm, That's such a sweet and tender question. And I'm going to feel into it. And my response is really giving yourself the permission to turn inwards and sit with yourself and whatever source of divine inspiration there is, whether you call that God, higher power, the universe, the ocean, whatever, like just sitting with something bigger and greater than you and connecting with like, what, it's not even what am I here for, but just like, what are my gifts? What gifts have been bestowed upon me? And how do you want me to bring it into the world, right? Because I know for me, so much of my journey, it wasn't, I'm not going to lie to our listeners. It wasn't until December, 2020, after being in private practice and building both the, you know, therapy practice and the online business for seven years that I real like seven and a half years almost where I realized, oh my goodness, this whole time I have been really operating from a trauma response trying to force things, trying to have it be my way. And literally my word this year, I stole it from Patrice Washington, but my word this year was obedience for 2021. And I was like, wow, I've been operating in a trauma response. Everything was like, Sharani has to solve the problem. Something's happening, not happening. I have to do it. And this year, since I made a commitment to obedience and also to deepening my own spiritual practices, I have been seeing That when I step back and I connect the divine and let the divine lead the way, these amazing things happen on timelines that I would have never imagined. And it's just so wow. And even this weekend, I was having writer's block because I was working on the chapter about the original relational rupture. (laughs) And it was hard. It was heavy. I was feeling very blocked. And finally, I was like, oh, I am trying to figure this out, like how this chapter is flowing together. That's why I'm having such a hard time. I stepped back, I got quiet, I meditated, and I literally said, all right, God, like I am over here trying to figure this out, but this isn't my book. This is your book. And so I am going to just step back and I'm inviting you to get back in the lead and lead the way. And Lydiana, no joke, that chapter got written so fast after that, like just all the pieces came together. And I was like, wow, I had been struggling all weekend, the entire long weekend, I had been struggling with it. And all it took was me to remember who's in the lead. Is it me? Or is it the divine? Yes. You were speaking and I hear God like goosebumping and teary eye because 
I feel like we, we were in very similar journeys in 2020 mm-hmm. and 2021. We're also in a very similar journey, even though we're not in the same mastermind and, or like teachings and because that's what made it. I mean, that connecting, uh, I have a little altar mm-hmm. right here, connecting with that, which is that is the latest adding to it is like a mother daughter in connecting to that went so that your inherited gifts and they were given to you for a reason they were given to you for a reason and I feel like they're needed in our world right now because if you came into this time right now in this craziness Mm -hmm. (laughs) it was for a purpose yes so reconnecting and whenever I feel like I don't know what I'm doing or or imposter syndrome, or I'm not enough, or because I don't have this. I'm like, I go back and quiet and go back. I do it via music, mm. cow ceremonies and all the way. Connect back to like, okay, this was given to me. So stop with the bullshit of I'm not good enough. I'm not this. It's like, okay, you help me. <laughs> and sometimes I'm like, you gave me this. So you help me, please. <laughs> and I ask for guides and which lately has been animals, but it's so important. So for those listeners right now that probably mm. are like, disconnected or feel blocked go back to whatever you know connect into a higher power inner higher power god however you want to talk about that or in listening because a lot of it is listening and listening and kind of like getting out Mm -hmm. of the way and that's when I feel like we're in flow even it happens when I'm doing therapy when I get out of like Am I doing the EMDR correctly? Am I doing that one? <laughs> did I do, am I doing a windshield hand or, or did I? And there's with sensory motor, the latest one that I'm getting trained, there's like the five steps. I'm like, did I do the step number two? When I go there, it's not flowing. Nothing is moving. Yeah. So oh, I have this fire round. I don't even, yeah, fire round questions. I'm still like learning how to do this piece, but it's more like complete the sentence. Yes. Yeah. I'm ready. Yeah. My unique and special gift is to be able to see relational patterns. I am reclaiming who I am, the truth of who I am. I no longer subscribe to supremacies, conditioning. Woohoo! <laughs> I join you there. <laughs> if my ancestors would speak, they would say, thank you. And you're doing it. And that there is no right or wrong way. And lastly, my wish for you Mm -hmm. is. My wish for you is that you allow yourself to connect with your own inherent value and worth so that you can shed all the layers of supremacy's conditioning and come to the truth of who you actually are deep down in your core so that you can take that light and shine it with your gifts throughout the world because we need you. Oh, oh, this is so good. Thank you so much. Can you share with us where do people find you about your offerings and all that great stuff? (laughs) Yes, thank you. So the first place people can actually go learn about me is on my podcast, Fierce Authenticity. And I talk about all of this. I mean, Lidiana, what you talked about, the disconnection, the imposter syndrome, All of that is supremacy culture. And so Mm -hmm. if you want to learn more about this, that is the best place to go is my podcast, Fierce Authenticity. And from there, the show notes will have whatever else I'm up to. And for the moment, I am in the pre-launch, the early supporters pre-launch of the publication of my next book. And that is available 
Right now it's at www.fierceauthenticity.com, but that will be moving over to sharaniambatuk.com pretty soon. Okay. I'll put all the links here in the show notes and all of that good stuff. It was an honor having you. I I'm so happy that our path crossed and that you joined the program. I know you were the last one. Somebody had to leave. You know, all the Mm -hmm. stuff that needed for me to get to know you, because otherwise I know you're in North Call. I'm in South California. So, yeah, it's yes. And I can't wait to see your new book and your new offerings and learn from you. And yeah, and Shirani is also an amazing. She works with organizations and all that. So Oral, anybody that's looking for to bring her on as a speaker and any like that. Completely thank recommended. You. So thank you, Lydiana. And you know what? I want to invite listeners to find me on Instagram also at Sharani M. Patak. Take a screenshot of you listening to our episode and like share it in your stories. Let us know. Tag me, tag Dr. Lydiana, and let us know what you got from this conversation because. I learned from Patrice Washington that an audience of one is still an audience. So let me know if you were that one and let's continue to let the message ripple out. Yes. I love that. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Thank you. Ah, Thank you. Okay, everybody. Bye. I'll (laughs) see you all next week. Thanks for listening. Licensed psychologist. Now what? To make sure you don't miss any episode, make sure to subscribe via your favorite podcast player and to join our email list via our website. Lastly, I will appreciate if you would rate and review our podcast to help us reach more folks that can benefit from the information provided here. Until next time, bye-bye.